This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, what's up, everybody? And hello, Mike. How you doing? Hey, how are you, Bob? Excellent. Thank you very much for taking the time to do this. Uh, I especially thought it would be really fun to do this live because uh, people could kind of join in. You've already been, done a bunch of interviews with me, so it's not that big a deal. And then at the end, I think it would be cool to take questions if anybody has any questions that we didn't cover here because everybody's loving the Tink 5X and I'm sure has a million questions that we'll probably cover anyway. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Thanks. So I got to start out by asking, how are you? How have you been during all of this crazy lockdown time and, you know, and all of this insanity going on? Um, I, I, you know, I can't complain too much. And I'm wishing you and everyone else the best that you have. You've had a good uh, you've had a relatively good and safe lockdown. Um, I think a little bit of it is we're lucky that we're nerds. So we're OK being antisocial and staying home and playing games. So I, I hope that's a plus, but I, I'm sure that, you know, we're all looking forward to life going back to normal and being able to go out to eat and see friends. So, you know, I, I hope it wasn't bad for too bad for everyone. And I, I hope things will get better. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny when, for most of my life, I wanted to be anywhere but home. I always wanted to be out at a bar, out at a friend's house, out doing something. And then the past couple of years, I got so used to working from home. Like, that part of it didn't affect me in the slightest. It was just the at the end of every week, or sometimes two weeks, it's like, all right, I got to get out of the house. Let me go, you know, meet my friends, have a couple of drinks, get silly, laugh at each other, and go home and kind of reset. And then that's the part that I missed, because I didn't really have that very often, if at all, during the lockdown. So... Yeah, I can totally see that. You really need that. Otherwise, you kind of go insane. <laughs> you know, I, I know that we're anti-social nerds, but you know, for pretty much ninety-nine point nine percent of people, it can only go so far. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. So glad to hear. Uh, you know, you, I'm assuming you didn't get too sick or anything at any point, and uh, you seemed pretty healthy the whole time I was talking to you. So, um, I was lucky. I stayed home. Uh, you know, our work was pretty good in that. We were able to work remotely a lot of the times, and our office is small, so we weren't close together. And other than that, you know, we kind of stayed home, and uh, that actually, I think, reduced the chances of just getting regular sicknesses like the flu yeah. or, or the cold. So we were we were lucky. You know, I, I know it's been rough for a lot of people, and uh, you know, I'm wishing everyone the best, but uh, no complaints from my side. Awesome. Yeah, that was definitely the one thing I learned, you know, was uh, I didn't get as sick as I normally would just being around the subway, the million people around you. But it was uh, I, I totally I don't know why I didn't even think about this, but I was like, oh, yeah, my immune system is probably not as good as it was now that I'm still recovering. And I ended up catching a cold the other day just because probably not because it was anything bad. A month ago, it probably wouldn't have even been a sniffle. But now my body's just like, will you stop? <laughs> 
Yeah, dude, I, I know you've had it pretty rough this year. I think you had the flu or something, and then you got uh, COVID. So I'm glad to hear that you're mostly normal with the coughs. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I've been taking all of these uh, crazy uh, supplements and stuff to try to stay healthy. And I know for all of my fellow nerds out there, I know the supplements aren't going to cure COVID or prevent it. It's just my uh, my whole thought on this is like, I don't want to be deficient in something. So that if I end up getting hit with something else, it's like, oh, well, if only your vitamin B levels were normal, you wouldn't be on the couch for three days. So, you know, I figured whatever, dropped all the money, taking them, hopefully it works. Or I'll grow a third arm or something like that. Who knows? Hopefully it can't hurt. Yeah. So the last time we spoke, we actually recorded the interview. I mean, spoke officially. We talk all the time. But last time we talked in front of the camera... Um, we had recorded it a few months before the release of the Rad 2X cables because it was yep. going to be you know, mostly a surprise launch and everything like that. So it's actually been about two years since we've done an interview. And wow, uh, a lot has changed. Huh? Time flies. So. Yeah, time flies. It's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, I guess so. You know, I, you know, I, the one thing that I have to say is that I, I'm really grateful that there is a community. Uh, you, you, know, you, you and, uh, and everyone else built the community, but more than that, just everyone, every individual person buying these uh, the retro tanks and all the other great products in this space make it all possible. And, uh, you know, that's that's why these options exist today. And it's really thanks to everyone who's been supporting these these kind of things. So, yeah, I, that's really, you know, if you look back, there's been a lot of progress, but that's why that was possible. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's very easy to get sucked into the social media and forum drama and, and forget that 99% of the people in the scene, actually, I'm going to say 95% of the people in the scene really appreciate all the work we do and we never hear from them. And that's, I mean that respectfully, not disrespectfully, like they buy our products, they listen to the podcast, they like it, you know, that other like 4% are the people you always hear about that are amazing, that help support, that help spread the word. And it's just like less than 1% of people suck, but it's, it's really hard to remember the other 95 and up percentage of people just just when you're dealing and drowning in all of that so absolutely um i totally agree with that and you know i i don't want to get negative either uh, neither do you but it i think it's just a quirk of human psychology of course and i think it's probably an evolutionary defense mechanism that the negative experiences impact you by far right because that's what you're trained to uh, trained to avoid and you're absolutely right i think it's less than one pretty, um, but it, it, you kind of have to train yourself to ignore that. That's all I have to say. And, you know, a lot of times these, I think the people saying these things don't necessarily mean bad. You know, we're all anti-social nerds. We don't come, we don't say things the way that, you know, things should be worded sometimes. And, you know, you just have to take that all into consideration. Yeah, I'm always so grateful that my close friends that I talk to on a regular basis either always know that I'm just doing a million things and don't mean to be rude or just take the time to be like, are you yelling at me? Like, no, no, I'm yelling <laughs> at people in general, not you. And like, oh, okay, cool, no problem. So I'm very, very grateful for that too. But I, yeah. I try to like publicly be nicer. But um, sometimes you're right. Sometimes we're just nerds answering a question like a nerd would, forgetting that other people could interpret that as snippy or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's a sad fact that, you know, well, it's not sad. That's the wrong word. I mean, it's a fact of life that today messages are 140 word tweets, right? You know, you don't yeah. really have the nuance that you need that people used to do when they write letters, course, business correspondences, or yeah. even in face to face. So, you know, if you couple that with the fact that you do get bombarded with negativity and it sticks out in your mind, it's almost you almost get sucked into a mode where you 
almost view things in a in a negative light in the absence of other information. That's why stupid things like emoticons, like a smiley face, help a lot because as corny as they are, it helps put the right context in your words. No, you're totally right because if you and I were standing in front of each other and I had a beer in one hand and I went, look at this piece of junk. <laughs> no, I was kidding. Exactly. Or, or you wouldn't think it was funny, but you would at least not get offended. But if I if I just posted a picture of the retro tweet and said that, it's like, well, what's he mean by that? Like, is he trying to be funny? Is he not? So, yeah, context and emoticons and stuff like that is absolutely, absolutely yeah. nece uh, like necessity in communicating these days. Um, just before we move on to subjects, I just want to thank uh, everybody. Uh, EB Chill just sent a super chat. Uh, I just want to let everybody in the chat know one last time before we get into this, we are not ignoring anybody. We're just going to kind of go through as if this was pre-recorded, but not. Uh, and then we'll go back. I'll, um, any questions uh, we'll take afterwards, and I'll be taking note of the super chat. So just wanted to thank everybody. But I just thought I really wanted to do this live because I love the feel of stuff like this. I love it when feel, people feel like they get to be part of stuff. And I would do all of these lives if it wasn't for uh, so many technical difficulties <laughs> with OBS and Skype. <laughs> but, so the origin, the origin story of the RetroTink 5X. So uh, you had put out the Rad2X uh, via Rob. That was your design and Rob sells them. Yep. And then after that, uh, I think you had the 2X Pro and SCART around the same time. It was a few months difference, right? But it was about the same time. Yeah, it was based. It was actually the same day. Well, I'm trying to think, it was. It, it, I, my mind's crossed. It was either announced the same time. No, it, they were launched at the exact same time. Because they were the okay. internals are pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, awesome products. Those are really great for people to just connect with, either using whatever cables they had or. If, uh, I think the 2X SCART was a really big one for people with CRT setups that was just like, hey, I want to stream sometimes. What the heck do I do? And it's grab an output cable from your PVM, go right to the 2X SCART, or, or grab the other output of your G SCART, and it's just no worries. That's it. You're all done, and everything, you know, everything's just uh, works. So I think that's pretty awesome. Uh, and then the multi-format came out, which um, that's one of those products that when you first talked to me about it, I was like, I don't know. And after you get the couple of firmware updates in it, I, I think it's really awesome. And I do absolutely think it serves its purpose for um, anything that's mixed content, Xbox, PlayStation 2, anything that you're going to get 480i as well as 480p and possibly 720p on that. So what kind of pushed you to do that? Was it just the 480p support? Um, you know, that's a very good question. And this might be a very long-winded answer. So I hope that's okay. It's okay. Oh, um, yeah. Well, first of all, yeah, I agree. The multi-format was kind of an intermediate product, but it was actually a very important product because it was a stepping stone to the 5X. The analog section is actually very similar, and the 5X would not be possible you know, if that didn't exist. So it, it, you know, I'm glad that we made it possible. I'm glad that it does have a use. So about... I would say is about, there an airplane flying overhead? There is. We're we're actually by Miramar <laughs> Air Base, you know, Top Gun. Um, that's where yeah, yeah. that's where it took place in San Diego, and the guys are flying jets all the time. So skip one second. That just kind of makes it even cooler. I mean, all I have is screams, murders, and sirens in the background. You got fighter jets. You definitely win. <laughs> <laughs> well, try hearing this every single day, like multiple times. Yeah, it's getting worse now. Uh, I mean, there's nothing you could do about it. I think people understand. So. So yeah, stepping stone to the 5X, same analog section. Um, yep. So about, I think, summer of last year, you know, I started thinking, you know, what could we do next? 
and I had gone through just some data uh, data sheets of a bunch of video chips um, that had built-in scalers. So either the Chinese stuff, you know, figuring can we just write the right settings and get the performance to do what we want, or other these parts, and they all failed miserably. I, I think I've tweeted some shots of hey, retrotain three X, and the board's trashed because I never got it to work. And then I think I, I think I have them. I think I actually have the prototypes right here. So here's. Hold on, let me uh, let me cover this in case Keiko's watching. <laughs> Fucking thieves. So we have the uh, RetroTink 4X here, which was kind of an interesting prototype. Um, there, it was. I knew this was just like a prototype stepping stone type of thing. So I think I remember we found a couple of, of strange things with it that was neat, but I believe the max output on this was 960p or something, right? Yeah, it, it was a piece. It, it, you don't have to mince words. It was a piece of junk. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I would never say anything that's designed on a benchtop is a piece of junk. It's a stepping stone. If you had sent that yeah. to me and were like, look, I'm awesome. I'm selling this tomorrow. I'd be like, hold on a minute, Mike. But, but as a benchtop thing, that was absolutely killer. Was, and was there a 3X before that or did you – your first official There was a program? 3X. Okay. There was a 3X and I actually had built a PCB and it sort of worked, but the interpolation was so bad that because it was using an on-chip scaler – instead of a custom written one. And the, the whole point is I was trying to avoid going to an FPGA design because I, I knew exactly what I wanted. I knew how to do the analog video. I knew everything but how to code FPGA. And that's where I got stuck. So I tried a bunch of things and then, you know, finally I was like, you know, screw it. I'm just gonna have to bite the freaking bullet and just write the scaler and the FPGA and learn how to code the thing. And I, I think this is a, a divert. Uh, this is a good time to give my good friend Stephen Wuzel sixty four a shout out because he was like my FPGA sensei. He and I, you know, kick around project ideas all the time, and I owe him a thank of, uh, a huge debt of gratitude because without him, I wouldn't know even where to start, where to look at the right resources, the right Verilog. So he he really helped me out on this one. I I, I owe him one. Yeah, he's um, awesome. I still that, talk to him all the time. Real good dude. Yep, and I'm sure, and I we've heard that he's coming out with his own stuff, mm -hmm. which I'm very excited for. Um, Definitely looking forward to that too. I'm sure it'll be awesome. But yeah, once I got to the FPGA stuff, it just started going and going and going. And um, and you know, it's a quirk of my design philosophy that I build things from bottom up instead of top down. Um, that's why you know you see these random stupid teaser tweets like, "Oh, the deinterlacer is impossible," and then a month later it's like, "We got a motion adaptive deinterlacer," and you know, it just kind of snowballed. And there's artifacts of that. That's why you end up the stupid SCART direction because the PCB was already done, and then you told you made me add the SCART port. But, <laughs> I did. Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> it was just a, you know the five X was kind of just an organic growing of me learning how to do FPGA design, and then all of a sudden you know one day I looked at it, it's like hey I think we're set. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because you sent me this prototype with. Uh, um... Same thing, I believe. The, the scar. Let me double check. I got it right here. The scar port uh, facing, yeah, facing that way. And then I didn't know what this was going to look like, though. I didn't know if you were going to have like if this was going to be like the OSSC where things are coming out of all ends. Uh, the original prototype had switches on the side for uh, for stuff that's now in that really awesome OSD. So switches would have just made it redundant and everything like that. Um, and then when you sent me the other one, the, the red prototype here. Hold on, once again, anti-Kaiko alarm. Um, that one, I think that's when I noticed, like, hey, you know, by the way, that uh, the scar port's a little bit, you know, it's probably not going to, 
are not going to fit in some people's setups. It's going to loop around, and that's when the part shortage stuff happened. Where you're like, I'm not changing a thing. I don't want. I don't want to have to redesign this and then figure out that you know I'm not going to be able to get the part to even make this. Let's just ship it. So I, I was 100 yeah. on your side for that one. Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, I mean, again, it's a it's a quirk of my bottoms up design, iterative design rather than hey top down, which is what you know a more big company approach. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, at that point, I had the enclosure made, uh, enclosure started, and getting the enclosure guy to change anything is a pain in the ass because uh, my Chinese sucks <laughs> and his English sucks, so communicating anything is a gigantic pain, and he's slow, so it takes him months to make the mold. So I'm like, you know what? Engineering is all about trade-offs, and time is something that you know a lot of people lose sight of. Time is a valuable oh, resource. Yeah. So at that point, I said, okay, screw it. Let's just move forward. And was there ever a, or a thought or a decision as to VGA, yes or no? Because I know uh, Tien and I were working on that. Well, mostly Tien, who's working on the VGA discard coupler. Uh, and it's also integrating some open source designs that have been tested for like a year now. So RGBS, RGBHV via switch and no voltage worries. I mean, you know, assuming what you're using stock, obviously, if you're using a custom super gun and putting 10 volts through it, everything's going to blow up. But, you know, that's pretty cool. It's not going to be necessary. Also, the orientation of the SCART port isn't going to matter. But did you ever consider throwing VGA on there or any other weird thing that I'm forgetting? Um, I did, and I think um, and there, there's two answers. To, uh, there, there's, and that's, that's a very good consideration. I did. Um, well, first of all, the main reason I didn't add VGA is the video chip that I use isn't really – it's not a video – it's not a graphics digitizer that's used for VGA monitors like the OSSC. It's a consumer video chip mm -hmm. for HDTVs, um, so analog YPBPR. That's actually the native color space of the video ADC. So – it really didn't make sense to try to shoehorn a VGA input in there because I, I don't think the results necessarily would have suited been suitable for that. Um, that's really the big thing. Yeah. So and so sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, sorry. Let's get. And the second thing is, you know, I think there is a good application for VGA for computer digitization, um, and I think uh, Dreamcast uses VGA. There's a VGA option, but by and by, you know, my intention for this was for gaming consoles. Um, so when you weigh those things together, it's like, you know, I could add a graphics digitizer and make my things more complex or, you know, just try to keep it simple. And that's the call I made. Yeah. I mean, I a hundred percent support that because, uh, one of the goals of this was to keep it as cheap as possible, all things considered. And there's other stuff coming out that, that is not really going to be competing with you. Like the OSSC pro will probably be the one to go for, for computers. And you just said, that's not your goal of this. So why are you going to add another hundred bucks to the price to add something that wasn't your initial goal anyway? Right, exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's always about trade-offs. And I think, um, if you don't mind me hijacking the conversation a bit, no, nah, man, we're here to talk uh, to you. I'm just word flapping when, uh, for sure. Like... <laughs> and, and, you know, um, I, it's, the, the, the other reason why the VGA wasn't added is because the internal pipeline of the system due to the video ADC is 422 and not 444. And I realize I've been getting some hate mail. You'd be actually surprised. I get hate mail, hate DMs. Um, but, you know, it, it's like I said, engineering and, and design is all about balance and, and trade-offs. And, you know, to do that in a way where it's not perceptible to 95 or 99 percent of people just because – it's not 422 in the sense that the input's chroma subsampled. Mm -hmm. uh, while making the design much more efficient, uh, it was a it was a trade-off, and that is also why the VGA got dropped. 
Yeah. So um, could you also, since we're on the topic now, just discuss a little bit about the 422 on the output side? Because I think uh, some of these scalers that have it on the input side, especially when you're going to high resolution, when the original Tinks go to uh, 480p, a lot of the stuff wasn't you know noticeable on a 4K TV. But I think the Framemeister versus the OSSC, I noticed the color difference mo- much more than I did from the OSSC uh, to the RetroTink 5X. I honestly don't notice it at all while gaming on a 65-inch 4K OLED. I only noticed it when zoomed in, you know, 5,000% to Link's face. So. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and so 422 means really two things. Um, it's always good to dig into what is a technical definition, you know, what are the implications, what are the trade-offs, rather than saying, oh, no, it's bad, it's a bandwagon, you know, but it's a bad, bad buzzword. So 422 basically means that for every Luma sample that's black and white, there's uh, there's one half there's so there's two black and white samples for every color sample. So color is sampled at half the rate um, uh, of black and white, which your eyes are most sensitive to black and white details. That's why it has more resolution. That's what gives images the sharpness and the definition. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first uh, that that's the first that's the first meaning. But it, more generally, 422 just means that your data handling pipeline has two Luma samples for every chroma sample. Um, the reason why 422 is hated on traditionally is because you take an image at its native resolution and you throw away half the color detail. Mm -hmm. That is awful. You lose color, you get weird fringing, you get weird banding. The way that the Tink 5X works is it actually oversamples the input. So compared to a standard 444 ADC, a traditional video ADC, it actually takes twice as many samples or more. So you end up with twice as many Luma samples as a standard 4448 ADC, and about as many, in some cases, more chroma samples as a 444 video ADC. And internally, that just that's how it handles. And the compression is on the output side. So on the upscaled image, right, you have one input pixel, but that turns into five or six output pixels, and you have just a tiny bit of color bleed. That's why it's not noticeable compared to throwing away the detail on the input side. And you know, to to be completely frank, I I ran this past, you know, people who really hated 444 and who've spoken out uh, publicly, and even they were like, they shrugged, this looks good for 99% of the people, go for it. And that's why I made the call. It was an engineering trade-off, and um, that's the decision I made. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect, perfect sense when you think about compressing a 240p image and then dropping a giant percentage of the color of that image before you then scale it to 1080p or 1440p versus you know, oversampling the way you said, so all of the original detail is kept all the way until the output when it's compressed down, when it's already at that super high resolution. So that, that makes complete and total sense. And and yeah, I agree. When I heard people like Fudo say, yeah, you can't really see the difference at all. That's what I was like. All right, I'm, I'm not wrong about this then. If, you know, if the people <laughs> with the really good eyes agree, then I think uh, I think we could all agree. So. Yep. I mean, it's like I said, everything's got to be about balance and, you know, cost, time, um, these are all factors that, you know, in an engineering project you have to make. That's why cars don't all have V12s and 100 miles per gallon, right? It's just you can't hit every, you know, wish list all the time at the price 
point to one. Exactly. And I mean, and, you know, I do also want to remind everybody that you have never been the type of person to say, my scaler is the only one out there. Everybody else's shit. You need to buy mine. Like, you're always very open about your scalers are very often designed for a specific group of people. Like the RetroTink Mini, I still think is the best entry-level scaler anybody could ask for because it just works. You don't have to mess around with anything. And there are other options out there uh, that are going to be at a higher price point if any of these things really are important. I feel like you've always had a really good grasp on where you personally could make the biggest difference in the scene versus everything else that's out there. Yep. I mean, everything has a place. And, and you know, I think this is a good time to kind of just address, I wouldn't say a pet peeve, but it's a concern of mine, right? I, I don't know why people get in this mode, but there's always, there, maybe this is just the 1% of people that, or less than 1% that generate negativity, but it always has to be some sort of death match. And, you know, this product kills this product. And, you know, you suck if you buy this. And, oh, no, my stuff's out of date because something new came back. It's like, I think people just take it relax. I mean, if you're happy with what you have, that's awesome. There's awesome. It's awesome that there are options out there and never let anyone feel bad or shame you because you like what you have. That's just messed up. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an easy answer. I think that's half of the people that do that. Uh, I think it's called sunk cost syndrome, where you have to defend your purpose or your purchase, or you feel less than. And the other half is that just blind tribalism. Like I want to feel special to be on Team Retro Tank Five X, so I'm going to insult everybody else so my my tribe can can pat me on the back. And it's just it's gross. <laughs> There's no other word to describe it. Both of those yeah. are gross. None of that stuff matters. There's no, you know, we're finally at a place, finally at a place in retro gaming where there are so many right answers, where a few years ago, I mean, when I started retro RGB, I would almost argue that there are no, there were no right answers. There were the least worst of, and now there's a whole bunch of really good stuff out there. So I think we all just need to, to high five each other. And now, uh, you know, just agree that there's so many awesome products that, that really are for everybody. But Absolutely. Um, I will say, though, it is kind of fun making fun of the frame ISER just because it's kind of like a faceless product. We don't know who's behind it. And I don't know. I should probably yeah. stop because, you know, for all I know, someone in Japan is taking offense to it. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I think the person that uh, that worked, I think it really is only one or two people that worked on it. And I don't think they speak English, so they probably don't even know that we're, we're teasing it. But I, the only reason I've ever enjoyed making fun of the Frame Meister is because there were groups of people out there that said that I said it was the only way to play on flat panels. And I've never said that. I've never really liked it that much. I always, I, I always appreciated it for what it was, but I was always more on the the crt side or the you know the 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 different scalers that's kind of why i enjoyed making fun of it but there's there's nothing wrong with it i just i made that point in the in the video and that unless the tink 5x has something that the frame meister doesn't that you would use there's no reason to jump ship it's a perfectly fine device just don't go run out and buy one now especially for 600 scalper prices i'd rather Absolutely. see you buy a retro tink 5x and an ossse for your pcs or something than you know than deal with that so Absolutely. Yeah, just, uh, you know, and I, I've gotten some hate for saying this before, and I think some people have taken my words out of context. But, you know, at the end of the day, these are all toys, right? These are, we yeah. should be lucky that they exist, and they should be generating positive emotions. And there's no reason, I, I just see that no reason why toys, fun, and games should be generating these negative feelings. That's not healthy. Yeah, I think the only... Um... And, you know, this is something I'm, I try so hard to be better at, but 
I, I always try to keep in the front of my mind that there's a lot of people who English is their second or third language. Um, and sometimes they say things or interpret things incorrectly because it's not really their fault. So I think some people could interpret toy as an insult if you take it out of context. Right. And I think the safer thing to say, you know, now that you have time to think about it, is entertainment devices. Right. right. So this is this is something that's supposed to get you 99 percent good enough to cover a wide variety of, of things, which you absolutely nail. It's not like a medical device that has to be within the point oh 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 one percent of accuracy or you'll die. It's an entertainment device. So, yeah, I think that was I think that might have been just language barrier things because for sure, you know, or, or people that just want attention. That's something I deal with every day is people taking the opposite opinion of mine just because they're the only one taking it. And now they get people looking at them. Aren't they special? So, you know, <laughs> I'll say I'll say one thing though on on the medical devices, and I think that's to credit to the credit of this field. I'm not really talking about my stuff specifically, but you know, I run a medical device company as kind of my my real job, and I will say that the engineers building these hobbyist toys often have greater attention to detail than the people building the, med than the medical devices I've seen, and I think yeah. that's purely because of the passion and the and the love that they they um, they have in it versus you know for I don't mean want to denigrate or sound negative, but you know, a lot of engineering, not in medical devices, but just by and by, it's a job, right? And they do things just to pass your favorite 806, 60601 standard and get that by and get to market and they're happy. But you know, there's just a an insane attention to detail in the space that you really don't see elsewhere. Yeah, I completely and totally agree. Um, you know, it's, it's one of these things that like, I mean, we talked about this in the other interview, so I won't get, get into it again, but I also worked in the medical field for like 12 years on the electronic side. And, uh, the, the passion that people have for some of these hobby projects that turn into much more than a hobby project is really commendable. You know, they're, they're working on this stuff as you are because you love it, not because, you know, you don't want to piss your boss off and you have to get it done. You want to get it done. You know, this is your own business. Yep. So yeah, I completely and totally agree on that stuff. And it is pretty impressive to see a lot of the stuff that you've done. So um, I guess jumping back into some more of the technical questions on this that I was not comfortable trying to answer in my uh, sure. uh, in, in my video. So the, the oversampling was what you talked about before. So you sample each of the inputs at a higher uh, horizontal resolution. And that's what doesn't force you to have to set phase. Um, and that kind of, uh, I got that part of it, but the, the horizontal timings. Um, so how did you implement that? Did you just pre-program them in manually or is there, I guess, could you just add a little bit more perspective to that for the people listening who kind of want to know how all this magic's done? Yeah, for sure. Um, don't want to get the nitty gritties too much specifically, but there's, there's two components. Right, uh, I'm, I'm just uh, talking about generalizations. Oh, absolutely. So. Um, there's. Oversampling is uh, is a big help because that reduces the amount of uh, that that just gives you over and roughly oversampling gives you the ability to look at multiple phases at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so what the FPGA does is it evaluates all at the same time, you know, the the quality of each different phase, and then it reinterpolates the output. Uses the polyphase scaler to then interpolate and then output the original console resolution at the phase that it determines is the best. So it actually works differently than a VGA monitor, right? A VGA monitor, you press the button and it kind of manually cycles through all the different ones. That would never work because you need like a, a checkerboard pattern or a uh, or a wall of text 
there's this website back in the old days of analog VGA inputs that gave you a checkerboard, and every once in a while I'd have to go on that site and click it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the way the RetroTeam 5X is, it actually looks at all the different phases all the time at the same time, so it, it you know it, it just all works in the background for you. Um, the only caveat is you do have to tell it what sample rate to look for, so SNES 256, Genesis 320, that sort of thing, because at least at this point, I'm not sure if it's possible to determine solely based on the image and the timing what console you're in. I, that's something I'll look into, but mm, that's a that's a much tougher problem. That's still really cool, though. It's just the fact that you know the fact that that option's available is neat. I think generic mode looked looked more than good enough in most cases, but uh, I do when I when I have the um, desire to play 320 in wide pixel games in square pixel mode, like, you know, the round loops in Sonic like I showed. I love that mode to do that. I love how it fills up more of the screen. I could deal with Fat Sonic. Uh, I, but I think the 256 pixel modes in perfect pixel, uh, either in 5X or higher, those look so close to 4x3 and they're so sharp that that's the one thing. Like, even if you're just beginner intermediate and you don't like messing around with these, uh, for Super Nintendo, for a lot of the PC Engine stuff, whenever you know there's a 256 pixel width, flip that mode on because it just looks so good. Yeah, and you know, hopefully if their TV is four, uh, 1440 compatible. The SNES 256 comes, I think, within like you know two or three percent of 4.3. So uh, you know, I, I, hopefully that satisfies uh, most of the even people that are really picky. Mm. So the other thing uh, that people were pretty picky about are the scan lines. So mm -hmm. um, can you talk about how you do the scan lines? And once again, you know, a generalization, no secret sauce or anything like that. But it's just, uh, you know, I definitely noticed they looked different to the OSSC and the FrameMeister. And, and uh, there's also that stigma that scan lines only look good in 720p mode, which it's a stigma because it kind of was that way for a while. But it doesn't seem to be the case with the RetroTINK 5X. So. Okay, this might be a long, long-winded answer. That's yeah, totally fine. Yeah, so I think the reason why people think uh, uh, you know it only looks seventy twenty p good in seven twenty p is because you know for the longest time people have been stuck in integer scaling, and um, you know there's nothing magic. It's people have been stuck in integer scaling because good interpolators weren't readily available. And I'm not the first person to have a good interpolator. The Mister and uh, GBA Consolizer, all these projects had good interpolators, bilinear sharp interpolators. Um, you know, long before, long before I did, but for the longest time, we we're stuck in integer scaling. And the way that these old-fashioned scanline generators, like the uh, the OSSE Classic and the Framemeister, would work is they would apply scanlines on the upscaled image. So you take the final output and then you just overlay it. You just basically use like use a sharpie and black it out. Mm -hmm. A more modern approach, which I think the Mister uses and other projects, Bill bakes the scanline generator into the horizontal, uh, sorry, into the vertical interpolation process itself. And that is a much more effective way to do it because even at non-integer scaling, um, you can get good results. It's not perfect, but it's much better than trying to do it the other way. And, um, and baking into the horizontal interpolation lets it do these nice gradual transitions um, that I think come much closer to a CRT. So I, I can't really take any credit for coming up with an awesome new scan line generator, um, but I think I think over the past few years, the state of the art in scanlines has improved a lot. So if you look closely, closely at these other projects, you'll probably see the same thing. All right. That's awesome. So it's it's not just so much of like 
blanking out or darkening every few lines in that it's actually as part of the scaling process to know which are the proper lines to darken out and and why in, in relation to its original image i guess exactly okay exactly um so the other thing i'm kind of jumping around because this is it's rare that i have notes but i actually have notes here for this one for all the stuff i forgot um power requirements all of the other retro tink products i've just powered right off of my tv I have powered this one right off of my TV, but is that bad or is that okay? Um, that's okay. So the, the RetroTank 5X uses about 650 milliamps uh, at max draw, which, you know, generally, you know, the old school USB ports are rated 500, but I think modern ones can supply an amp easily. Okay. Um, and it's pretty safe. And even if it under volts, it just wouldn't boot up properly. You're not really damaging anything. Uh, in which case, just get a cell phone charger. Those are all rated for one or two amps, and uh, you're all set to go. Um, yeah, I, I generally try to make my things low power just because I hate specialized power bricks, and it just it, those things are annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, that was going to be my next question. I'm really glad that's your answer, that just try it. Worst case, it doesn't work. It's not going to fry it by underpowering. It just won't turn on. So Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. So what about like a PS2 then? I had a couple of people ask that questions because I think a bunch of people bought this just to use for their PS2. Uh, oh, no shit. So yeah, for, from the U, the front port, obviously not p trying to power off the AV or anything like that. We know that doesn't have enough power. So, Right. I'll have to try that and get back and, and get back to you. I actually have not tried the PS2. I've, um, it's you know, for the life of this thing, it's always been powered off a TV or a computer. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I I always in all of my testing and all of the captures have powered it off of a USB hub and not in a high amperage port, just a standard USB three hub. Uh, and I've never had an issue with any of your products through that at all. So, and I've been doing that since the first tank. So, yeah, cool. Um, so what what were the different color issues that people had on Genesis and PS1 with some of the other tanks? Because I didn't have those issues. And I don't know if it's because I only have one or two unmodded consoles and the rest have all been triple bypass and everything else or or what? Um, so the problem with Genesis and PS1 is that so Sega, I, I kind of get it there. I'm not trying to hate. Don't uh, hate on Sega, but their hardware, let's just let's just say, has always been uh, interestingly designed. Yeah. And their encoder is extremely off spec. So on an analog TV, um, you know, usually those things are a lot more tolerant than modern digital decoders. So it, it's fine. But Genesis, because of the way it encodes color, the frequency and the phase, it generates weird results on modern composite um, video ICs. Generally analog devices, which is surprising because their stuff's usually pretty good. And the old Tinks had an analog devices decoder, and it would just mess it up. That's why I think you saw the same. You'd see the same thing on the Framemeister. What was maddening is that it would happen on some Genesis and others, and where others you'd put a 32x and it stopped working. It, there was no rhyme or reason, but it was because it's so off spec. Sony had the same problem on some PS1 revisions. I don't know which one. And like the Genesis, some revs of the same same series would work. Some others. But Sony, you know, you, you, given that they make BVMs and PVMs, you probably would have expected a better encoder, right? Because then you look at things like the PC Engine or even the NES, the way they did the encoding was much sharper and blended the way to artifacts much more effectively. Mm. Um, so Sony screwing that up was a little bit weird. The, the Tink M and the 5X uses a different part uh, from a different vendor, and the composite decoder on that one is much better in quality and tolerance. So that's why we don't see this anymore. Oh, well, thank you for the explanation, and that seems like a pretty straightforward answer. You have a different <laughs> chip, that's why you don't have to worry about it. Um, 
Now, I, I don't want to talk about um, about any upcoming features unless it's stuff that you've already talked about because I never want to put pressure on anybody to get something done. But one of the things that, <clears throat> that a lot of people were asking about um, that I just wanted to at least get your opinion on is overscan cropping. Um, is that something that, you know, obviously when you're running Mr. and the core and you could detect where the overscan is, that's going to be easier to do than on a scaler. But is that something that could be baked into any of the custom profiles or is that just not um, not part of what the setup on this could do at the moment? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I appreciate uh, not trying to put me on the spot. I've always been kind of a under-promise, over-deliver kind of guy. And I, I don't know, maybe it's a core for my personality, but I was like, no, it can't be possible. That's why you'd see me answering tweets for months saying, there's no deinterlacer, get out of here. It's a line doubler. And then all of a sudden I got it to work, so I, I sit at work. Uh, but yeah, to, to answer your question, the um, the scaler on the FPGA is flexible to do all those things. It's just a matter of time mm. and resources and prioritization because um, you know adding these controls makes the UI more complicated. And those things, it's surprising how those are the things that actually take, I think, more time than just the nitty gritty hardware, the, you know, the, the the, the Verilog and, and just adding all the UI interfaces actually maybe to me is is more time intensive and I, I've always been more of a simple we make you plug and play and just go for it kind of guy yeah totally hear you so um, okay so I'm gonna just say that that features like that are possible but don't buy this with with that expectation in mind just because it might end up being something that just takes forever or you don't get to because there's more important things out there no disrespect to people who that's the most important thing but i think everybody else would probably agree that there could be other stuff in there who knows i mean as these things are shipping you know you, we couldn't test every console and every revision from every scenario i'm sure there's going to be a few bugs here and there that you have to update and those would obviously take take priority over any kind of like oh this would be neat style of feature you know yeah, I mean, I think the most immediate thing going forward is, you know, trying to shoot down all the bugs. You know, we found the bug with the 720p clamp position that I actually do need to release a, a firmware update for um, because the, that, I think, made it some of the production units. So shooting down all these bugs and getting compatibility nailed down first for as many reasonable consoles as possible is kind of highest on my list. And then moving on to enhancing the UI and adding these custom features. Yeah, absolutely. And just um, for, for anybody listening who might wonder what that is um we found a bug where if you're doing 720p pass through sometimes it would get a little dark and it would do like a brightness thing um and it, it was just an easy thing that was fixed in firmware so like it, like if you get yours and, and that happens don't sweat it that's that's a, one of the easiest things that uh, that mike's been able to fix out of all the crap i've been bugging him with <laughs> so. um man let's see what else we got for notes i mean it's just it's such an awesome product. I, I like. I'd want to ask every question about everything on here, <laughs> just, but uh, I you know I just I'm trying to keep everybody's time in mind as well, including yours, of course. Um, the one, th the other thing that people do keep asking, uh, and I, I, I once again, same caveat, you know, it, uh, no pressure for this, but there were a lot of people that truly felt that the smoothing filter on the original retro tanks really added a great look to N64 games. So for those people, do you suggest putting their old tank into the new tank and using that? I don't probably don't think that's a good idea. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, you end up with a, a very bastardized, half-smooth, half-sharp thing <laughs> processed through S-Video, and it would not look good. In fact, that earlier prototype, that blue board you sent, could do it, and I... Could do something very similar. It was not pretty. Um, a smoothing filter is, I would say, not out of the question, 
on the FPGA that we have. Um, whether or not I'm up to the task of making it happen is a different question. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I think my opinion on this stuff is if you if the N64 is by far your favorite console, you're really going to want to look into the new Pixel FX scaler, the internal mod. Um, I'm sorry, the Pixel FX internal mod, the N64 digital that kind of installs the same way as an ultra HDMI. So it's not for beginners, but that's going to have some smoothing stuff in it. Um, you know, I, I'm just going by what, uh, what they've posted publicly. So we'll find out soon enough when that comes out. Um, or alternatively, if the N64 is really your only console that you're going to HDMI or the only one that needs a smoothing filter, you could grab a rad two X for that and then just leave everything else through any of the other scalers that you have. So, you know, it's, it, there are other solutions for you out there, but once again, I don't know. I don't know if that would be something that you would consider a priority on the RetroTINK 5X when there's just that's kind of a N64 players wouldn't agree, but it's kind of a niche, a niche use case, you know? Yeah, uh, I would agree with that, and I would say that because the N64 video output filtering needs are so unique, uh, you know, either if you're really hardcore, you know, go to the mod route, like you said, mm-hmm. and. Or if you're just more casual, I think the barrier to entry with a Rad 2X or a RetroTank Mini with the built-in smoother is relatively low. So if you consider those two um, those two factors, the need for having the the uh, 5X do the smoothing itself is probably lower. Mm. And and you know for to to be clear, the 5X if you have an RGB mod, analog mod on your N64 and you like sharp pixels, it is it essentially the optimal mode does a VID blur. Um, so if you're after the sharp N64 look, you kind of are set there in a sense. Yeah. Could you talk about that for a little bit? Because I thought I'd seen you mention that on, uh, on Twitter or something, but you and I kept forgetting to talk about it. So the VID blur with N64 on the Tink 5X. Um, okay. So first of all, I'm just going to say the disclaimer. I know almost very little about the N64 and, uh, some people have forgiven me for hating on it because <laughs> I never played the console. I, I just can't, I'm sorry. I just... I, I'm too old. Those early Gen 3D games, I I, I can't play. Mm. Um, but to my limited knowledge of the N64, the way it outputs is it outputs a pixel, then another pixel, and in between it interpolates um, between the two true pixels. And what the optimal sampling does is it picks the pixels that aren't interpolated and gets a, a rid of the ones that are, and that's essentially what a VID blur is. So the VID blur is basically optimal sampling for the N64. The OSSC Classic does it too. Um, obviously the mods can do it and that gets you the very, very sharp N64 look. Cool. And again, if I screw this up, feel free to send me hate mail. I <laughs> don't know what to about the N64. So, I mean, if, if people are looking for a super sharp N64 look, uh, which I think looks good. If you're a fan of artificial scan lines, I do think that's a great combination. Tink 5X is perfect. If you really want that smoothing filter, the Retro Tink Mini still comes with a, an S-Video cable, right? Yeah, the Retro Tink Mini packs in an S-Video cable, and uh, you know I think that's if all you want is an N64, and it's good for the N- uh, SNES too, right? Sorry, S-Video is not as good as RGB, but it gets you 80% of the way there at least. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So that's kind of a you know low barrier to entry to get your N64 fix, right? Uh, yeah. And um, and it does have the smoothing filter, which can look very good in for some games. Yeah. The only other thing I will add, and this is just this is just opinion. This is not fact. So you know, if you want to hate me for it, that's fine. But I do absolutely um, 
think that in, what I've seen on an N64, if you're going for a smooth scale, not counting anything that hasn't been released yet on the market, for products that are already out there, um, I actually really like how it looks in 480p with the smoothing filter on and then letting your TV do the rest of the scaling. I, I think that kind of smooths out the jagged edges if that's the look that you're going for. So, you know, I, I do think that there's two great options. Super sharp with the 5X or the OSSC, super smooth with the Tink Mini, any of the other Tinks, the Rad 2X when they're in stock and stuff like that. So I do think that there are solid choices. I just really wanted to ask the questions about that just because, you know, people are curious and uh, and I don't think people would be upset at the answer. I think they just wanted the answer, you know? For sure. And, you know, of course, if, you, if you're if you a hardcore N64 fan, and there are a lot of those out there, get the mod. Um, you'll get everything and yeah. you'll have the best of everything. So there's plenty of options for N64 users. Absolutely. Um, the only other thing I could think of here, because I think I covered everything in the review. I think I asked all the other questions. We'll get to uh, we'll get to chat stuff soon. But um, now I just drew a blank. I was going to ask. Oh, uh, so PC resolutions. The only mm-hmm. PC resolution I've tested with this is 640 by 480, which is technically, you know, not just PC. Um, and out from my PC, I also used uh, 720p, so 1280 by 720. But do what would happen if somebody connected like 800 by 600? Would that work, or would it just give a no signal? Um, right now, it give a no. It would give no signal. Um, I could, in theory, add the detect. I, I would have to. I think. Okay, sorry. I. <laughs> I can't promise yet, but you know a lot of these modes could probably be added later on. Um, I think high on, higher on the list probably would be something like 360p for the GBI because I've got that request a lot. Yeah. Um, so just adding the detection mode for these, uh, adding the detection code for these modes, and then adding the scalar profiles, I think are things that I would be looking at uh, looking at in the future. Um, again, the caveat is you know with SVGA 800 by 600, the 422 uh, YPBRPR style processing isn't as well suited for it as a VGA digitizer that runs natively in RGB. That's the only caveat. Cool. I mean, it's it's just my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, but I would think that your original idea of focusing on console-related stuff is more of a priority because people right now could use PCs with an OSSC. They could take advantage of that variable um, low-pass filter that could work through the different resolutions, uh, You know, especially... Uh, depending on what your end goal is, that might actually be just easier for everybody, including you. <laughs> but I do think yeah. uh, that stuff like the GBI 360p and, and stuff might actually be pretty neat. Or, or weird arcade stuff that we haven't even found yet. I'm sure Beast will find that as he goes through his collection. But uh, yeah, I would think that that stuff would probably take um, take precedence to uh, uh, just computing things. Because I think there's just other products that already do that. And I don't think it's... I don't think you should be spending your time on that when that's not what this was designed for. Just my opinion, though. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I completely agree. And, you know, to be clear, the OSSC Plastic is basically built around a VGA digitizer. It's for, uh, you know, it's for, it was basically, you know, for monitors that were built with the VGA ports, right? When you, even today, you still get a flat screen. You have a VGA port. It's a very high resolution precision digitizer for computer signals. And it does that job very admirably because in those, use cases, you don't need a deinterlacer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can output non-standard formats if you're sending a, the signal to a computer screen. They're much more tolerable uh, of these things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's always a tool for every, you know, it's, I wouldn't say there's always a tool, but it's good that today there are tools for many use cases. And from a product design perspective, uh, maybe I'm just being lazy, it's always better to focus on things that you know you can do well and really hone in on those 
rather than try to go for the Swiss army knife because you're going to drive yourself crazy. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. Um, before I switch over to the chat and some questions, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about relating to this that I didn't ask or, or something that popped in your mind? Yeah, sure thing. I'm just going to take, uh, take a moment, you know, to just thank everyone again for making this possible, right? You know, like you said in your video, it's really uh, you, the viewers, the people buying the stuff that make this world go, right? You don't need to thank me for making it possible. I'm thanking everyone out there, you for building the community, customers for buying the stuff to keep me for keeping this alive. And, you know, I, I would def I would very much like to thank my wife because she is the one that also makes this world possible, right? Mm -hmm. She kind of, um, you know, she, I was very lucky that she kind of put her life almost, I wouldn't say on hold, but, you know, just really put herself in the position to support me to make this thing, make this retro tank stuff run. And you know, she's the one right now that's frantically shipping as many units as possible while I'm talking to you. So when you send me messages saying, hey, has my thing shifted? She's the one responding and uh, pulling her hair out. Uh, <laughs> and we're trying to get them out as fast as possible. Oh, geez. Well, you know, thank you very much to both of you. This is, uh, I've, I've obviously just been a fan of all your products since the, <laughs> since the beginning. And this is definitely a huge step forward too. So you should be very proud of it, both of you. Oh, thank you. Um, just to go through some some previous chats, uh, EB Chill Two wanted to uh, to thank you. I don't need Hollywood Hollywood stars or athletes to look up to. Got Mike and Bob. Thank you very much. That was super nice of you. Um, oh. Gordy Owl, another awesome super chat. Want to buy your Retro Tink Five X? Wish Five X. Wish be good luck, amigo. Um, uh, Samuel Sarat said that uh, they think there's plenty plenty of FOMO out there because there's limited availability of all of these retro game scalers, and the extreme reactions are from that. Definitely. I do want to make the point that a lot of these limited availabilities is not the, point, uh, the fault of the developers, though. Part shortages, um, having the money to put down to order some of these, you know, dealing with pre-orders and worrying about getting your, you know, your accounts canceled because you have too much of a pre-order in. That stuff happens all the time. So, Yeah. Um, do you mind if I say a few, few words on that? No, go for it. Yeah, um, I'm totally with you guys. Uh, with you know, I, I hate FOMO type marketing bullshit. It's it's one of the things that really annoyed me as a young person is you know I, I would go with my parents and we'd go into like a store and the sales guy would be like, "You need to buy it now, or else the opportunity disappears." And even at the age of fifty, I'm like, "Fuck you, seriously, fuck off." And they just try to put pressure on people, and I, I hate that. That's why I, I always try to work really hard to keep things in inventory. Um, this year has been a challenging year. Parts have been uh, have been really scarce, and you know we we were really lucky that you know we we were able to take a lot of the the money we made last year, and we just invested in parts, probably more parts than we ever need for the lifetime of the product. We did that because otherwise you can't fight for the right to the, buy the parts. Our PCB vendors like, hey, there's a bidding war for this chip that everyone needs. So I was like, just pay whatever you need, just get those parts, and buy as much as possible, and. That's why we're able to run the mill this year. But yeah, um, I hate FOMO. I, I really want not destiny FOMO. <laughs> fear of missing out. Um, right. I hate I hate the sense of uh, fear of missing out. And you know, my, my philosophy in business is just have inventory, make it easy for people, and just keep the mills going. That's better for everyone. Yeah, totally agree. Thanks for the the insight on that. Um, Seven Kurgand, I'm so sorry. Everybody knows how terrible I am at pronouncing these things. And uh, 
Jorge Leon both wanted to ask about motion adaptive or um, smoothing modes, and we already talked about that. I'm really sorry. I don't want to uh, waste everybody else's time. So please just go back like 10 minutes into the chat, and and you'll get the answer for that. But probably not. But maybe you get surprised. Um, Hector Santana wants uh, thank you for the super chat. Wants to know is there any interest in eventually adding a CRT curvature simulator like the RetroPie has? Uh, I would like your thoughts on that as well, because while I don't want to talk about future things, I actually don't like that effect. But I kind of want to see if that's something that you like or not. That one's going to be a tall order, and that's because um, the way that a a computer or a software scaler works is very different from something uh, how FPGA does it. And again, I'm not the expert, so people that know more about FPGAs and graph and GPU design are probably could probably can rip me apart, but. As far as I understand, on a computer, on a GPU shader, you can look at multiple lines at the same time. And that's very easy because you have access to all memory locations. So you can draw a curve because when you need to draw a curve, you look at this line, this line, this line, then remap it, right? Mm -hmm. The way the FPGA works is um, the window that it has to look at is much more limited just because you're much more memory constrained. So maybe you can look at three lines at the same time. It's just not enough to do a good curvature effect. Cool. Thanks for the insight. Um, we will open these up to the chat in a second. A couple of things. This is not a tech support <laughs> live stream. Uh, please don't post your order number asking if Mike has shipped your unit yet. These are just... Okay, I'll just yeah. say, we're still in the 21,000s. If you're in the 21,000s, we're working through that. If you're after that, please stay tuned. We're like maybe 25% of the way through. And I, I know it's causing you anxiety when you see other people on Twitter post their setup, but we're really... we. By I, by we, my wife right now is working as fast as possible to, to ship these out. <laughs> we'll get you out of here kind of quick. Um, there was one question that I wanted to mention just because I think I've gotten this a lot in the comments and I've heard a lot of people about this. I'm not going to say the person's name because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but it was actually a wrong question. They were they expressed concern that sync over green was or sync on green was not supported because the quote unquote PlayStation two looks much better over RGB. That's actually false. And that's something that I also got wrong for a while there. I had that on my website for at least six months and it was wrong. The problem was people using unshielded, uh, component video cables from the PS2 and yep. more importantly buying these cables that sure as heck look shielded big thick cables but when you cut the ends off there's no conductor it's all just foam inside so pick up a set of HD retrovision component cables not the conversion ones just the pass through um, Castlemania opens uh, opened pre-orders on them you could get them from Amazon when they're in stock but that is that is probably one of the ma the only reason that you would want to use sync on green would be if you already had a full SCART setup and just didn't want to switch anything around. If you have a, the new G-SCART, it automatically converts it. But if you're just looking to get PS2 into the RetroTINK 5X, just grab the PlayStation 2, 3 HD RetroVision component cables, and that's the only thing you'll ever have to worry about. It'll look absolutely perfect, and you don't even have to worry about things like DVD support and anything like that. So I just, once again, I wasn't, uh, I'm not trying to, to wag my finger at the person who asked that. I just really wanted to clarify that because I was part of the um, misinformation from that years ago. Um, yeah, I, I will say, I'll, I'll add that, you know, the PlayStation 2 component video output is exceptionally sharp and clean, better than Xbox, um, obviously better than the, the, the GameCube because that's 422 on the input side, mind you. Um, it, the PS2 component output is so sharp that when I'm playing on PS1 games, I don't even need optimal sampling. It, it is exceptional. So don't get good component cables for the PS2. You're set. Cool. Uh, some more Super Chats. Uh, Seek Slayer can 
would free sync or variable refresh rate support be added in the future? Is that even needed on the scalar side of things? Excuse my ignorance. I, I don't think so. It's not really needed on the, uh, well, there's two, unfortunately, no, because it takes advantage of a newer version of the HDMI standard that isn't readily available to people building these type of things. Same reason why 4K is right now out of the reach because those parts just aren't generally available or cost effective. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for consoles that are always outputting the exact same frame rate, call it 60 hertz, give or take, you don't really need variable refresh rate. Variable refresh rate is really for a computer game that's not able to render in the refresh rate and the rendering you know, rate changes. That's, that's where it's helpful to minimize screen terror and stuff. For consoles, no. Cool. Um, next one, uh, Classic Ragu. What was the hardest feature of the 5X to implement? That's a good question. That is a good question. Um, I would say <sighs> the SCART port. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, the motion adaptive deinterlacer in the end didn't turn out to be that obnoxious. The, probably the hardest one was just the polyphase scaler and um, getting all the pixels to look right and, and making it past the FPGA timing. Um, yeah, that's it's. It's not a surprise. Between the polyphase scale of the FPGA and then getting the external memory chip to work, I would say those two were uh, were, the, were the biggest mind benders. Cool. Um, uh, BRKS EDU. Sorry, I'm terrible at saying these. That probably means something. I'm just not smart enough to pick it up. Uh, thanks for your, uh, the review. You're welcome. Because of it showing the triple buffer capture without 240p to 480i skips, that's why they bought it. Yeah, I think a lot of people really appreciated that feature. Um, and, and that's that I think anybody that plays multi-resolution games, it's going to be their go-to without without a doubt. Um, any thoughts on that or anything else you want to add to how, how awesome it was that you got to have instant switching? Yeah, um, I think, uh, you know, the, 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 the thing that I think I really enjoy hearing the most is that, hey, it's opening up new games that you weren't able to before. I think uh, Scarlet Sprites posted, hey, I'm actually playing 3DO games or... Now, maybe that might have been a deinterlacer, or someone was talking about Chrono Cross and these, or a Resident Evil, right? And I, I think to me that is the biggest win because while the RetroTink 5X makes 240p games look great and it might be easier to use than an OSSC or whatever, right? Um, opening up new games is, is is to me the bit the bit the one that gives me the most happiness is hearing it's like, hey, I couldn't play this before, now this makes this possible. Awesome. Uh, some more. Um, just want to say, Mike, you're a hero for bringing this kind of plug-and-play accessibility to the community, and I hope that the 5X buys you a summer house from George Frankly. Thank you, George. <laughs> well, thank you very much. You know, the thanks is all, again, to people like George and everyone else that make, make this thing possible. Yep. Um, will uh, you already answered this, but I wanted to shout out, Bill, will the 5X be able to support 360p for GBI games? Uh, you said that was something that you were looking into, right? As soon as I get a full GBI setup, that's probably number one on my list of weird resolutions that I'd support for. Interesting. Okay. Um, so here's a good one. Uh, CRDRC is me. I'm probably saying that weird too. But uh, should they be worried about using sync strippers going into an Extron switch box and then into the RetroTank 5X? OSSC doesn't have issues, but I want to be safe. So what I believe is that the output of most of those Extron switches outputs TTL level sync. So you need a 470 ohm resistor on the sync line or else your OSSE could be in trouble. And I assume yep. the RetroTank 5X as well, right? 
Yep, um, that kind of goes back to the uh, the TTLC sync thing uh, that you know we talked about many years ago, and it, it will work, but it's probably not something you want to do for a long time, even if it works, just because you're feeding a significantly higher voltage into those analog inputs that you should. The other problem I've seen with sync strippers is that badly implemented mm -hmm. ones output glitches that aren't filtered and it causes H-Sync, uh, the picture to either jitter or just lose lock completely. Um, and for that reason, you know, if you were to buy something new today, I would recommend sync on Luma or sync on composite because that is the actual signal that you're supposed to sync off of without any adulteration. And I designed the input of the, uh, of the SCART RGB to look at a composite signal or a Luma signal, filter it, and then turn that into an H-Sync. So said differently, you don't have to ever need a sync stripper going into the SCART input. Exactly. Cool. Because the first thing the, the first thing at these video chips, every video chip is a sync stripper. It doesn't make sense to add another one because it also shifts the image slightly, which is is kind of annoying. Yeah, I mean, in the situation that they're talking about, you actually do need one going onto the input side of the Extron cross points in certain scenarios. Uh, so I, I totally get that part of it. But I, I, I've kind of been echoing your statement for a while now of if you're buying a cable today, you don't need a sync stripper unless your setup very clearly requires one like that. So just don't even, don't even worry about it. And for any beginners listening, if you have a C-Sync cable with the proper components in it, so you bought it from a reputable reseller, uh, then absolutely don't worry about it. That's still good. We're only talking about stuff like people who make their own cables, don't put the right components in, and then you're sending high voltage and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Nelson Painkiller. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Any chance of getting a SCART out version of the RetroTink 5X? A SCART out version, um, probably not because I think, uh, you know, I think that one, that use case is, you know, while I think it's important, you know, all use cases are important, it's probably small enough that it's, you know, not cost effective to make a revision that supported just that. You know, for a secondary analog output, you could use a um, an HDMI splitter and a, you know, HDMI to VGA dongle. So I think there's enough workarounds that you know it's probably not going to be on the foreseeable future yeah and i, I do want to just add that you could you could get a very cheap but good quality hdmi to vga converter i linked them right in the amazon store uh, and the upcoming vga discard adapter you'd be able to just integrate that right into your setup um, for much less than probably the cost added to the the tink would be for a dual analog output in that so um okay I was going to say, also, if you just need analog at the input console resolution, something like a G-switch uh, G or some other switch or analog splitter is, you know, another a solution. And probably better because you're not converting it to digital than back to analog again. Agreed. Um, George just wants to say I'm finally able to play Rivet King on PS2. It used to drop out constantly. Amazing work, Mike. Well, thank you very much. Um Cup of tea, interesting question. Uh, I don't know if it's if it's on topic, but I always kind of interested in hearing these. If you could play one game again as if it was your first time ever playing it, what game would it be? That, um, that's a good question. I think it's a question that someone should actually post on Twitter and something and see what the responses are. But, you know, I, I kind of grew up poor, so I didn't have many games to begin with. I, I can tell you all the games I had 
as a kid. I had a copy of Mario 1, Mario 3 for the NES, and I had a Super Nintendo with Chrono Trigger and Super Metroid. So that kind of limits the scope. I would definitely say Mario 3. That game, to date, is still like my definition of something that was just so perfectly designed and balanced. I would never get tired of it, and I wouldn't mind just playing that from scratch again. Have you played any of the hacks where you get to where it adds save game? So it's the same exact game. They don't mess with it at all, but it could save when you're done with the, the levels or anything. So you don't have to just play it on stretch. But you didn't beat the game. True. True. You didn't beat the game. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Uh, you know, Mario 3 is actually the reason I, I would love to look at it, but um, the reason why I like Mario 3 is it's one of those things where you can actually just play in one sitting. Yeah. It's, it's, long it's not so short that you're not you don't feel like you're not getting your money's worth but it's not so long that you know it takes for that you actually i think you need save and that's another reason i love it because there's there's different paths you can go through the game but it's generally playable in one city yeah that is true um we're going to start winding these down but there were a few more that i wanted to to ask and also if you have any more in the chat i'll just kind of pick my favorites i'm sorry uh but robbie strange um do you make something to play consoles on a VGA monitor? I would say that any of the retro tanks are excellent choices to play on VGA monitors. Just set the 5X to 480p out. All you would need is an HDMI to VGA converter, just like I always link at my Amazon store. Would you agree with that? Yep. Um, pretty much all the retro tanks will sorry, line double the console to at least 480p and then plug that into your VGA. Turn on the scanline generator and turn up the brightness on your VGA screen. It comes actually sort of close to a pvm sort of it's not that far yeah off. i did a whole video on that and i loved yep. the way it looked and the only feedback i got is from people that had old old CR, VR, yeah, vga crt monitors where the the tube was so dead they couldn't turn the brightness up but everybody else really loved that so i would absolutely check that out and just pick uh pick any of the vga converters i have linked um as far as i know they they don't crush the black levels or anything like that they're you know they're also no-name brands so you could probably buy 10 and maybe get three different guts on the inside but the ones that i've personally tested should be good um pixel phoenix once again a huge thanks to me i don't need anything but mike mrs retro tank and everyone who makes all these things possible and a wonderful community who fosters creativity thank you pixel phoenix very nice of you thank you very much um more of a of a uh i don't know how to call this one but any chance you will have any other payment option besides paypal i know those things are such a pain um, to set up i i'd have to get feedback and see what people want um uh and, and and look into it our site can take uh you know there's there's other options like it, it could integrate stripe and this other stuff so definitely if there was demand um we'll look into it uh for what it's worth i think PayPal will let you just check out with a credit card without making an account. So if that was the um, that was the main concern, there's a button to do that. It's kind of it might not be super obvious because it's they probably don't want you doing it, but it's a link when at the checkout. Cool. Um, Gunboo says they think it was a fantastic idea to use actual ABS plastic enclosures for the 5x. Was it a difficult decision to go that route? Um, no. So. It, I, I think it made a lot of sense because uh, I think it was just uh, people. It, it was just in the in the long run, it was easier to make plastic enclosures, even though there's more, more upfront tooling costs. But um, just having a factory that makes the plastic enclosures and then having them be able to hand it off to the PCB manufacturer and then having them snap together the cases 
uh, I think just made sense from a production standpoint. And, uh, you know, I actually have a question about that question. Um, yep. So for the creative people out there that like to make their own unique 3D printed cases, which I always love, even if it's not my favorite, I'd love yep. to see that. These are just snap cases. So you could kind of gently squeeze them and they'll pop them apart, right? Yep, um, you can definitely disassemble the uh, the plastic case with a spudger. It might take a little bit of work, but um, then you can extract the PCB and you can definitely put your own case on it. Cool. I would love to see I would love to see Greg or Todd or one of the amazing people who make three D printed cases do something like integrate an HDMI switch uh, or a splitter and you know ha have a VGA or component out to like have some big giant device that that handles all those niche use cases but is routed in the original RetroTINK 5X i think stuff like that would be cool because it doesn't add cost for everybody else that wasn't use them but if you do want that stuff then just buy the cool 3d printed case buy the list of or, of kit that they have and kind of go from there yeah it's always nice seeing this stuff yeah uh, ajax wanted to uh bounce off of that will be will there be any other colors for the shell down the line i really liked all your different color choices for the mini um that is a good question and you know i might get some more samples made and get people's feedback the reason why we didn't have diff uh colors well time was time and logistics was i think the big one for the launch you know be able to manage um all the different options and inventory and having people select it and saying it was too much for for this phase the other reason we didn't do colors is because when you, the enclosure is this big, it really needs all these internal supports. Um, otherwise, when you press it, it flexes and it, it just it creaks and it possibly breaks. So the problem is if you make it transparent, you see all these support lines and it didn't look as good as the mini, which didn't have any of that because enclosure was much smaller. Um, I thought it'd be dirty, but you know, I, I've gotten this request a few times. Probably get some samples made later on when things die down and see what people think. Very cool. Um Linux Lover wants to know if the 5X does even better for VHS than the prior ones. <laughs> now, that's a very interesting question because the M with its awesome comb filter in pass-through mode uh, allowed your TV to still scale the image as it would a 480i signal, so smooth, but you got the good comb filter. And I have it, all my stuff's in storage. Uh, my guess is that the comb filter of the 5X, if you set interpolation to smooth, not sharp, and then try another, try the different deinterlacing modes. I actually think blend might be really good for something like this. Um, but I, I think that would be a really cool output. But what would your, have you tested that? And have you seen anything that you liked? Um, yeah, I, the, I think the biggest thing, and this is something I, I really abuse during testing is fast forwarding and, you know, do all these weird VCR tricks that break uh, capture devices. The triple buffer really helps hold the signal. So if you have a bad tape or you're fast forwarding, it won't drop. I think that's going to be the biggest improvement compared to the older retro tanks, which could drop if the sync got really or the tape got really bad. Um, I know Fudo hates on blend deinterlacing, but I would agree that for VHS tapes, because they're so soft, that could be a good way to do deinterlacing while minimizing all the artifacts. Motion adaptive might work well, but with the noise levels, it might just <laughs> bob most of the time. Yeah. Um, so definitely try both. Um, but yeah, otherwise. You know, either set the interpolation to soft because for blurry VHS tapes, I think soft is going to be better, or just set the output to 480p and let your capture device do you know some sort of uh, Lanxos or a cubic interpolation. Yeah, so that's one thing that I would love to check is I would love to try 
uh, smooth interpolation with CRT simulate scan lines, and then just flick through the different output modes to see what combination of scan lines with the scaling my TV does would look best and see if there's like a really cool way to, to get VHS tapes looking good on a 4K TV. I don't think, I mean, realistic expectations here. You're not going to get them to look good, but you could get them to look unique and different and stuff like that. That's not a tinker. Yeah. That's 480i video. <laughs> it's VHS. I mean, keep your expectations in check, right? It's, VHS is going to be VHS, especially after 20 years in storage. Mm. Uh, Brian Leffler, or Leffler, I'm so sorry if I get it wrong, had a good question. Uh, is there any way to buy a replacement RetroTink sticker without buying another scaler? I gave away the CRT that I put my original bunny sticker on and would love for another one. I think you should add those to your shop for people to add to their cart if they want to buy extra stickers, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, sure, that's a good idea. I'd probably add it for like a buck or something, but you know, if you really want another sticker, just... Uh... Hit me up um, on Twitter or, or email, and then uh, you know, definitely happy to mail you one. Uh, just right now, maybe hold off a few weeks so we get through this rush, but more than happy to send you some. Cool. And uh, to close it out, Andre Vandal just wanted to say nothing to ask. Just wanted to say thank you and great work to the both of you. So thank you so much for the super chat. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks to everybody for coming in and hanging out. I love doing these live, and I am shocked and happy that there are, were no technical difficulties. There was barely even any lag this time. We barely even uh, stepped on each other at all. So, yeah. And, uh, of course, and especially thanks to you, Mike. I love all your products. You're always one of the easiest people to work with that I've ever worked with. Uh, it's just so much fun getting to be getting to hang out and, and be a part of any of this stuff. So, and, you know, thanks for the opportunity for me to do the, the opening video and all that. Can't tell you how much I appreciate all that stuff. Absolutely. It's the least I could do, Bob. And, you know, I... I'll say it again. You know, you you guys really built the community. I came into the scene relatively late, right, 2017 or 18, and you know, you guys made this possible, right? You and, and the viewers. So, you know, I'm I'm very grateful that you know you you were able to help me out all these years. I think, and I, I am probably, uh, and I'm sure I'm not the only creator that has the exact same story. So, thank you for making it making this all work. Well, thank you all very much. Um, this will be listed as an audio only download for uh, fairly soon for anybody that caught uh, caught it late. So just stay tuned to Retro RGB for keeping you in the loop of any time Mike does a firmware update. Not only will we post, I'll probably do screen caps and stuff to demo it as well. So thanks to everybody, and uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah, thank you, Bob. <laughs>